Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Your Book. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your shelfy-snapping, spine-cracking book inspector. Come to judge your reading habits, even though I once couldn't find a bookmark and ended up using another book. I am so excited to tell you that this week's guest is Sophie Kinsella. I've loved Sophie and her universes for more than half my life. I was given her novel, The Secret Dream World of a Shopaholic, for my 16th birthday, and I was absolutely overwhelmed by the giddy, shimmering energy of it. I didn't know you were allowed to write so many jokes or books about women who were the architects of their own triumphs and disasters. I've been an obsessed fangirl ever since, alongside millions and millions of readers. At the last count, she sold 40 million books. Her newest book, out now and published by Transworld, is I Owe You One. The story of Fixie, an adorable, sparky young woman whose emotional investment in the family business needs protecting from her actual family. It's a story about love and relationships, romantic ones, friendships and the connection we have with our careers. I think it's one of Sophie's best ever books and the bar is high. We met Sophie at her home in central London. As Sophie's most celebrated heroine, Becky Bloomwood, might put it, a hop, skip and a contactless tap away from some really good shops. So what I love is I can see some really gorgeous children's books and some I'm quite familiar with and some are um, entirely new to me. Yes, uh, the Dribblesome Teapots by Norman Hunter. This has got the loveliest cover. So this is a puffin? I mean, basically, the these are just genius stories for children. They are so funny. They are just silly, silly humour. They're the kind that I love. They're utterly benign. They're just kind of ridiculous and absurd. They're all about sort of kings deciding to hire somebody to slay a dragon, only the dragon decides to apply for the job. And it sort of twists on old-fashioned fairy tales, but just very silly, very, very witty. Lots of kings sort of running out of cash and resorting to funny means. And, and I don't think they're very well known. I, I think I read that when I was um, a child myself. I've read it to all my children. I've had to track it down sort of online you know, because I lost my copy. Oh, so this isn't what this is uh, a copy that you've this had is to... a Yeah, because I've been through copies. I've sort of lost them or, you know, we've lent them. And I, it's one of those books that I just have to have. 
in the house, look, the queen who economised. I mean, it's just brilliant. And they're sort of always deciding to... I mean, it, it really speaks to me. They're deciding to sort of give up the robes and, you know, I mean, sit on deck chairs instead of thrones. I have to ask, is this um, part of Becky Bloomwood's well, origin story? I'll tell you what, you know, when I knew I was going to be doing this, I started looking through um, all sorts of books that I probably hadn't thought about for years and years and years. And I could really see a theme. I could see where, especially in the children's books, I think, you know, for me, the, the books that I read as a child are just in my heart. And also, I probably read them about 30 or 40 times. I am a real rereader. And I certainly was as a child. I would just read the same old book again and again and again until it was kind of internalised and I loved books that had a really great voice mm. you know a funny voice like E. Nesbitt My Naughty Little Sister and Ramona who I just adore to oh, this let's, day let's look at Ramona because I do think that it's like when you are when you're young it's like revisiting a friend isn't it and going to play at their house and it's familiar in the loveliest way and I th- sometimes I think you I think I enjoy things more after the first read when sort of the I know all the peril has been resolved yes. and you can just really enjoy the, the characters yeah. and the voice and the story. Yeah. Oh, I'm a real believer in, in rereading. Um, oh, I mean, Ramona is just the most wonderful character. And um, I mean, sort of similar to, to Becky Bloomwood or, mm. or some of my characters. She just has her own internal logic. Yes. And she sees the world as she sees it and she cannot understand why people are at odds with her and of course we can see we can understand where she's coming from and then we can see you know where all the grown-ups and other people are coming from I mean there's this brilliant bit where she she goes to school for the first time and the teacher says um sit here for the present <laughs> well that's it and she thinks there's going to be a present and honestly my children they laugh and laugh but they're sort of on the edge of their seats thinking oh no when, when is this the hideous truth going mm. to become apparent this is just so tragic she really and she's clinging on to this idea she's going to get a present when there's no other evidence she you know she just heard this one phrase um and then and then again life is not fair for her you know people misunderstand her motives what's her the name the there's a boy that she lives next door to gosh he's not called davy he's um and his mum is quite howie howie they pound bricks Mm. don't they that's their game and um, yeah, and then and he's got a little sister who's always being pushed around, and you know Ramona's got no time. For I'm it. sure I remember a line where Howie's mother is heard to remark on how hip her son's eyelashes are wasted on a boy, yeah. and that's the sort of thing that you, and it's to get that. I think when you're a child, you understand so much more than you're given credit for understanding. And I think for Beverly clearly to include that observation in a children's book is one of those things that you're not quite sure where the adult's going with that, but you know it's a bit mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think she captures that so well, this kind of half, the twilight situation where you're a child, you hear stuff. I mean, actually, she deals with some really great stuff with you know the the dad being out of work Mm. and tightening the belt and you know family disappointments not just and it's at the there's the end and it's been a really really awful time and they all go to a like a fast food restaurant and have hamburgers and there's just this sense that everything's going Mm. to be okay at last and it's I think a lovelier and much more powerful ending than snatching a princess from a mountain. It's so real. A, it's so mm. real. The pleasures in small things, you know, the pleasure in a hair slide or mm. a new pair of shoes, or, you know, real things that you're related to. So, yeah, big and fan. 
I am going to pick up High Fidelity because I think this is really interesting. But is this this looks like it's possibly a first edition. This is amazing. Um, I'm going to be very careful this with is it. A, this is an it's old. It's a hardback. Yes. And it looks. Yes. And it's just as by the same author Fever Pitch. There's no great long list. Yes. First public. Ah, third impression. Third. Um, okay. August 95. So, I mean, I don't know. Perhaps it's a different time. But to do a third hardback printing. Like, <laughs> yes. Good for you, Nick Hornby. I'm not just all. This is a book I really love, um, mm. but I think some treated differently and possibly with more respect because it's a Boise book about Boise things. Um, when did you first read it? And oh, I, I read it, it. Well, I mean, whenever it says um, in 1995. Yeah, I mean, whenever you know, presumably that's not long after. Well, listening to Oasis and Blur yeah, and drinking I mean, Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> Exactly. And I have to say, for me, what I remember about it is I laughed. And for me, if a book makes me laugh, not just, you know, you can have different reactions to funny books. You can smile or you can sort of mentally nod and think, oh, that's very true, you know. Or you can actually laugh because it takes you off guard. The the joke is just so funny. Um, And that's what this book did to me. And I, I love an author who can make me laugh. It's just thank you. that is why I'm here (laughs) well you know that is that is very kind and and for me laughing is just you know it's not what everybody wants from a book but if if I can just lose myself in that and it's and I find it quite rare so this book is just and it's so honest are there any vividly funny bits that you remember when you think of it often it's just the lines um it just made me laugh and when when he hides at the funeral Mm. He just thinks, okay, what can I do right now? Uh, I'll just hide down here in some damp mud. I mean, I just laughed. That that kind of is what Ramona would do. Yeah, yeah, It's exactly. a very, it's, I suppose, I think, you know, a lot of the books are the most. And I think this is why, you know, so many of your heroines, you know, Becky being the obvious one, have been very plucky in a way that's almost childlike and it's instinctive rather than, but also being that I'm everybody thinks I'm an adult and I'm here in an adult's body but I'm really not I'm going to have to to do this instead yeah well I mean that is a feeling I very much relate to um that sort of I mean her her life that I depicted in the first of the shopaholic books was exactly my life you know I kind of landed in this job as a financial journalist and I remember on my first day knowing nothing about anything I was sent off to a sort of press launch of some financial product and I sat next to somebody quite senior from Scottish Widows knowing nothing about anything and the the weird situation you find yourself in is that you are the journalist and I'm doing really quite big quote marks here (laughs) because I was very much a journalist you know um so they've got to sort of treat you with respect and 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 be nice Mm. to you because you're going to write about their company while they clearly know that you know nothing and he was asking me questions and I was just bluffing frantically and flushing and occasionally scribbling something down I was I was like a child pretending to be a journalist that's what it felt like something I adore about Becky I won't talk about her too much because I'm sure you talk about her a lot but um you know the, the, the freebies and when she goes to a conference and that she takes two glasses of champagne from a tray like one for now one for the boring bits later oh, and yeah. it's about 10 o'clock in the morning yeah. and the sort of like going through the biscuits think I'll get the foil wrapped ones they'll be good um, I've just seen the Code of the Worcesters, uh, oh, which I'd love yes. to. This is a gorgeous edition. It's lovely, isn't it? It's really beautiful. I How would we? It's there's a very sort of ornate cover. I just like trying to paint a picture for the, yes. for the podcast. So, well, it really um, is a picture. I don't know what this is. It's a Folio Society edition. Um, mm. 
So it's got gorgeous sort of gold like foil lettering, and then I'm assuming we've got Bertie on the front with a. That's the little bit of the cow creamer. Oh, of course. Yeah. I was like, is it is it a pig? No, that, that can't Piggy be bank. a tiny empress of. When did uh, P.G. Whitehouse come into your life? I'll tell you something really funny, which is that people used to say to me. Oh, you write like P.G. Woodhouse, which I was always thought that, and I said that, that to lots of people. So incredibly flattering. And but the honest truth is that that I hadn't really read P.G. Woodhouse when I started writing. I was aware of P.G. Woodhouse. I think I'd flicked through. I think for me to read P.G. Woodhouse, I need to be in the right mood. Mm. And when I'm in the right mood, you see, I have subsequently become passionate about P.G. Woodhouse, having sort of thought, right, okay, let's just see what this is all about. And, and started reading. And actually, I think I prefer the bland... Well, not prefer, but, you know, I have a great love of the Blandings mm. series. And having sort of really embraced these books, I became utterly addicted. They're sort of books that I have, I have physical copies of and I have them all on my Kindle in case I find myself, you know, mm. needing some P.G. Woodhouse um, immediately. When you're travelling and stuck and it's like, oh, should I look at Twitter for half an hour and be furious or should I have this yeah, nice thing? Yeah, and also they're sort of Moorish, you know, mm. I would finish one and be like, right, well, I need another one now, quick, where is it? Um, and it's just supreme joy. It's just heaven. But it's just absolute genius. I wanted to ask you what you think about romance and loving books and romantic comedies, because I think in your books they are ostensibly romantic comedies. As a reader, I often feel as though that sort of, it's all going to be fine and it's all going to be taken care of. But the bit I'm really excited to read about and the part I love are the, the friendships and the mm. family. Are you a, a reader of, of romance or do you think that are you more interested in that as a, a device for playing out all the other relationships that oh, someone has? Um, I think what it is is that, I mean, I love romantic stories. I love the sizzle you know, and I love the grand reconciliation. I, I love all these things, but I can't quite separate that out from where somebody is, you know, in their whole life, because that for me is the sort of reality. So I'm always taking a heroine um, and putting her in her family context. And actually, the more I write, the more this sort of seems realistic and, and it's part of who they are. Um, but I love a sweeping romance as, as much as the next person. And there are these couples that sort of, stay with you you know um and and that just are magical to read about but for me I mean to be honest you know Becky Bloomwood's first love was you know the Denny and George scarf mm. um <laughs> Luke was very much second so um I mean in terms of what I do I try to write stories about girls having adventures or journeys mm. or doing what they do and and sometimes it's about a man and quite often it's not but there happens to be a man mm. who might be there or facilitate or you know but I'm, I'm not sort of starting always with that as the as the primary story I mean because I think of your books I my favorite romance the I mean I'm, I've loved them all but the one I was possibly the most invested in where I was really shipping them was um in the undomesticated goddess um and I thought Nathan was a really good kind of hunky hero but I guess that was because he represented so much and mm. it wasn't just he wasn't a love interest he represented the new life and the change exactly exactly and that really is about a girl just working out where to go at this crossroads of of, of her life and about big 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 choices mm. um 
uh, and and also about you know a lovely hunky guy and some raspberries. So uh... <laughs> I mean that the the um, the, uh, the the gardening seduction. That's um, I'm going to fan myself. I've gone a bit hot, and that's a really good point for me to pick up this copy of Julie Cooper's Rivals. Oh, Rivals. Ooh. So this, again, looks like a first edition or an early edition. I love these so much because you've got the map of oh, I know. Russia I know. on the... Um... Oh, utter, utter joy. Again, joy from first turning over the f- cover through to the end. Were you a, t- a teenage reader? I certainly was. I can remember the first... Well, I, I read all the, you know, the sort of the Imogen Harriet books. Loved those. Mm. And then I can remember walking into the bookshop at an airport and seeing riders and oh where just, were you going can you I've remember got, no I'm, i must have been on a family holiday and um do you remember that cover you know the bum britches the bum it was like a no-brainer i'm clearly going to buy this instantly um and i'm going to inhale it um what did you have any sort of anxiety about how your parents would feel about you sitting on the plane reading your book that's you covered know, in a bum. I'm not sure they would have had any idea what was within those covers. I think they they probably just would have thought, oh, you know. Uh, books, she likes books. It's a book, it's a book, that's fine. Yes, no, they should have been more worried about lace, actually. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that before or after Jilly? Was Jilly the gateway drug? Oh, I, ah, uh, when did they come out? Oh, gosh, so I think I these... think lace might predate... It's, have you seen how big it is? Mm. It's it's mammoth. It's well researched. It's it sweeps you from here to there and into extraordinary sex scenes. But I think that because there are lots of super sexy books. But the reason I think Lace endures and Jilly endures is once you've you know you've got to the bits where the pages naturally fall open. There are these really really powerful friendships between women, and mm. those are the kind of the relationships that stay with you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that these Jilly Cooper, you know, the Rutcher, I mean, they're, they're, they're a world. I mean, that's the thing. She's creating not just just a few relationships, but she's creating a world that you dive into and, you, and you're and you interested in everything. You know, the, the, the small characters who come in, um, the, just the way of being, the, the, the kind of the mores, mm. you know, uh, sort of fast living, lots of partying, um, all the despairs. It, it's just... It just sort of sweeps you along, and the sex and the and the love is all kind of part of that. But it's a it's a much bigger creation. But it feels very organic, mm. and it really it pulls you along. And I I love that you get to feel conflicted about everything. There's no, there are moments absolutely when you're really pleased, and moments when you're quite horrified. But also, it it's very lively and very lifelike. Oh, I mean, the, there's this supreme plotting again. Mm. I mean, rivals. You know, there's there's a supremely exciting plot about you know rival tv franchises it's it's not just sort of people falling out with Mm. each other it's kind of big business just i mean and whether it's tv franchises or whether it's you know show jumping Mm. or whatever it is she explains it so that you feel oh wow yes Mm. and then you start having an opinion on how they should run their business or how they should approach that jump because you feel so well educated by the book and again i promise i don't do this with all my guests but the thing i love so much about your books is that that they're all so nice you can come here every day (laughs) (laughs) I sort of I you know not not memorized them but I've read I've read many more than once you know the the business aspect can you keep a secret and Mm. she's I think I remember being really struck by how she's sort of ambitious and struggling and hopeful and trying so hard and no one seemed to be giving her the break she wanted and then when that finally starts to happen for her 
you know, that's as satisfying as any of the other. Oh, you know, you've made my day, actually, because that's another thing I always try and put into my books is the reality, which is we go to work. Mm. This is what we do. And actually, we do that with quite a lot of our life. So, you know, some of my books really do have a lot in in the workplace, mm. you know, in the office or wherever it might be. And also, you know, girls that working in shops and things, you know, fixie, mm. running the family business, really think there's a real thought behind I feel as though if you did want to launch a, a shopping business and you'd, sort of, you'd know the basics about kind of visual display and management and how to look after staff from, you know, reading your book, I think oh, well, you've I got more so. in there than most people I think know I you actually should have up. a small disclaimer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try this at home. I mean, I'm going to say that's, that's an opinion. That's not, I'm not um, in any sort of retail consortium. I'm going to pick up a book that I have not read and it's been on my shelf reproaching me for some time and that because The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. Well, I have to say I loved it. I, I have quite a funny story about the goldfinch, actually, which is that I read it and I was utterly gripped. You know, it's just a very sweeping story. It's it's dramatic. Um, it has sort of some extraordinary settings. And I was so gripped by it that I decided, um, and I, I was going through a phase of, my family should all read more. They should all read more. Why is no one reading? So I bought three copies, extra copies, and I gave one to my husband and uh, one each to my two eldest sons and I thought that you know it, it it's got sort of content in it which I thought well you know how could you not be excited by this you know sort of a missing painting and like an explosion and you know it sort of starts with a bang there's there's a lot of fun stuff um and my experiment did not work <laughs> <laughs> so, my eldest son I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this anyway too bad um, I'm going to out him. He, he came down like literally the next day. I mean, we're looking at quite a fat book here. Uh, oh, it's, it's, it's pretty weighty. And he goes, um, oh, yeah, I've read it. And I went, OK, you have not read this book. Well, you know, oh, well, you know, I've kind of more or less read it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you've more or less? Well, you know, I've skimmed it. Well, I mean, I know what happens. <laughs> so that was, that was him. You read the last chapter. I, I still, to this day, I have no idea how he read this book uh, overnight and then my other son started and he sort of read and I'm, I'm showing you now this sort of first first sort of chunk it's two and a half pages quite dense but nevertheless so he read this and it's called called one you know in sort of little mm. roman numeral so it's not chapter it's kind of section one he read to there um and he went yeah well I read the first chapter and I said Sweetheart, that's not the first chapter. That's just a very small You've read three beginning paragraphs. section. Well, you know, that was, that was quite a lot. I mean, that was, you know, I mean, it took me quite a lot of time. Anyway, and then my husband, having sort of, I must say, mocked me with my little kind of let me impose reading on my family, I, I got him to read it and then got supremely annoyed because every night he'd go, oh, God, this is really good, isn't it? And then he'd read a bit and we'd go, yeah, this is really good, isn't it? Yeah, I'm really enjoying this bit. So I was like, yes, you see? <laughs> so that was my... So he proved you right. He, or you he proved did, right. he did. And, um, I mean, you know, some people are put off by a, a massive great book. But I just think, well, you know, how amazing is this? I'm going to lose myself in it. Have you always, always read? Have there been any periods in your life where you kind of moved away from reading all the time and then came back to books or are they something that you've always do you know with I, you I think the, the ironic thing is that I now go through times when I read not at all 
because I'm writing. Mm. And that that was never a thing. I, I mean, I was on those, you know, bookworms, read all the time, reread, read the serial packet, you know, that child. Um, read all the way through university. Um, and I think I probably used to read more, even while I was writing. But then, I don't know, I, I think that I started to pick up the voice of whatever I was reading mm. and it, it started to become a bit of an issue. So I, I find that when I'm writing, I tend to reread because I'm not, that's not going to sort of impinge on my brain in the same way. So I might go back to, well, to P.G. Woodhouse or Agatha Christie. Mm. You're not going to sort of pick up a distinctive voice from that. It's just like sort of ple- sheer pleasure again. Yeah, I think Agatha Christie is a really interesting one to reread because, mm. I mean, do you remember who done it? No, never. Or- ah. no, I'm very fortunate in that I, I usually remember it was between sort of... Um, one of three. I mean, to be fair, there are some that you remember because they're so distinctive. But there are quite a few, I find, where I think, wait, is it you because of your, you know, simmering jealousy of your siblings? Or, or is it you? It was one of you. And, and actually, I've got just enough uncertainty mm. that I can just read it all through again. I mean, that probably heightens the suspense. <laughs> yes, well, actually, I remember once reading, rereading one and being utterly sure I knew mm. who had done it. And think, I keep thinking, wait, how's this working out? This is all going... And of course, I was wrong. <laughs> so actually, that was quite a fun way to read it. Because I often, often feel terrible about how little I can remember about a plot of something. Or if some, if I'm, oh, I love this, it's brilliant. And then some will say, oh, great, what happens? So there's a, there's a man and I, I think he's got a hat and someone dies. And... I'm absolutely the same. I'm exactly the same. Um, I sort of, I remember the emotion that I felt when I read it. And I remember that sort of it was, you know, made me laugh or, or cry. But, you know, the actual details I can get quite hazy on, which is a bonus because it means you can read it all over again. Um, I'm going to reach over because this book has been catching me for some time. It looks beautiful. Um, and I think, I hope it's right to say that um, your husband mentioned this and pointed yes, it out and said he yeah. it's the best book about Venice. It's Venice for Pleasure. It's oh, including Venice for children's pleasure. Oh, and the delights of the Brenta. I read that out the corner of my eye and I thought it was the delights of bees. That makes much more sense. <laughs> um, I was you... recommended this by my lovely former editor, Linda Evans, who has been my editor for many, many years and has, has recently retired. But she is a, a massive lover of Venice and I love Venice and have been had been several times. Um, and then she she was the one who said, well, you know, have you taken Venice for pleasure? And I said, no, I've never even heard of it. She said, oh, you've, you've got to buy it. And what's so lovely about it is that it's just the most chatty... Oh, look, like this, look. Um, view from the Molo. Did I said that right? That doesn't sound very good Italian, but anyway. I um, think you probably know much better than I do. <laughs> perhaps the first thing to do, as is generally the first thing to do in Venice, is sit down and have some coffee. Since we cannot take it at Napoleon's coffee house at the old air terminal, we shall have to drink expensively at a table facing the lagoon. I mean, it's like this. But then it's also incredibly knowledgeable about the art and, you know, where you should go. It has walks that take you sort of in a particular route. Now that we have looked at something of the centre of the city, let us explore the city itself. We shall be surprised to find how quickly we have disengaged ourselves from our fellow tourists. I mean, it's just so... Charming. Oh, like a very, very charming, slightly bossy friend. Because I do think as well, any travelling, sometimes you are so overwhelmed and there's always that fear that you'll end up in some 
sort of, you know, because you're so determined to go off piste that you don't really know what to do with yourself. Yes, I so mean, to have someone say, now this is what we do. It's terribly out of date. I mean, it says here, over 40 years and 150,000 copies later. So, you know, this is not sort of last year's up-to-date guide. It's just so charming. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We'll be back to you, Sophie, soon. But now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a book I loved so much that paying the cover price alone feels like a criminal act. This week, it's Leila Slamani's Adele, a novel about a woman exploring her own sexual compulsion. Adele has an enviable life. She's a successful journalist living in the centre of Paris with her doctor husband and young son. She appears to have everything, but she has an insatiable desire for nihilistic, destructive sex with unsuitable partners. This is not a sexy book. This is a compelling, consuming novel about the way women contend with our desires in a world where we are made to feel ashamed of wanting too much of anything. Slimani's prose is so spare and elegant that it throws the messiness of the story into stark relief. It's about fear, intimacy, what we choose to hide and what we choose to perform. I think it's one of the very best books I've read this year. That's Adele by Leila Slimani, published by Faber and Faber, out now. Now back to Sophie. I'm going to um, get up and pick up um, another book because I keep bringing the conversation back to um, shopping and chat, which I love, which I really, really love. But I know you're very, very widely read and there are lots of um, books here that don't fall into that category, but I've kind of accidentally maybe picked up one that is a little bit. So this is a book that, I think comes up a lot on the podcast as something people talk about really loving, but people often don't have a copy of. But you have here a really beautiful edition of The Diary of a Nobody by George and Whedon Grossmith. Um, and this, again, I think is interesting 
in that it's a book that's really, really endured and it's by a couple of blokes and the subject matter is trivial and that's why I adore it. But it's one of those books where you wonder whether it would have endured in the same way if it was sort of sold as women's commercial fiction at the time. Interesting. I mean, you've got you've got the diary of a nobody, and you also have ah, the diary of a provincial lady. I'm glad here. you picked that up because I look, thought it'd be interesting to talk yeah, about them together. Yeah, and um, for the listeners, I'm going to paint a picture with my words. You've got a really, really gorgeous Virago Modern Classic edition of Diary of the Provincial Lady. It's I'm assuming her at a desk with very sort of fashionable of the time bobbed hair. Well, I mean, it sort of sums it up, doesn't it, really? You know, and this is sort of one bit of her life. And then here's her diary here, mm. which is, you know, what she really thinks. Mm. Um, yes, I mean, interesting. I mean, I think this is, for me, that sorry, I'm now pointing at the diary of a nobody. nobody. It's joy is just in the voice. It's mm. what I was saying earlier about, you know, books speak to me that have a voice. Um, and sort of attempts at dignity mm. the um the sort of small umbrages taken all the time the misunderstandings again on such a tiny little level um but that we all relate to it's it's a very endearing book it's very very funny and it's one of those books that you can just open get your little fix and then you know close up and I love that as well. I mean, I, I love a narrative flow. I love a plot. I love a... But I also love just sort of some words. Just tap into someone else's brain. Tap into someone's life and then come out again. I am going to pick up a book that I don't know um, and I'm curious about. Standard Deviation by Catherine Heine. I think people do keep telling me about this book. And it's really good. No, you should read it. It's really, it's charming and it's funny. Um, it's it's narrated um, by the husband in a marriage. And it's, I mean, it just starts off with this sort of portrayal of um, this wife who, who, who knows everybody and sort of, um, he, he's kind of bewildered by her approach to life. She sort of welcomes stray people into the family mm. and and just seeing her through his eyes is just a wonderful device um and then there's a whole thing about origami and like you're saying you know you, you can learn about a subject I now feel I know about origami um there's a wonderful sort of portrayal of an origami club I mean what happens is that their son gets into origami so they have to start going along and taking origami quite seriously um and I think any parent also will relate to the thing of your child becomes passionate about something therefore you find yourself I mean with me for a while it was you know Yu-Gi-Oh cards and I would find myself go gosh you know blue dragon white strike that's amazing um <laughs> <laughs> wow what can I say and slightly busking and slightly kind of what and, and and then but seeing the passion in your child you know you want to you want to follow that and it's just a very tender funny clever book um uh you know I really I really recommend it well I am sold it sounds fabulous and I love the idea as well of I guess learning about something because I suppose Julie Cooper there aren't many people in that world who are like What's a horse? But there you've got... <laughs> you're, you're learning with people who are learning. And I can see how that would be yeah, very powerful. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I'm also going to pick up another two that keep catching my eye because they're very different um, 
books, and I think different from the books we talked about so far. Here we have Northern Lights. Uh, is that, that was the first book mm. um, in the, the series. And lots of these books seem to be, one way or another, very much about real life, I guess. But this is sort of... It does tend to be filed under kind of fantasy or, mm. you know, it's in that area. And um, when did you first read it? Um, I think it wasn't initially. It was one of those books that the buzz grew. And the honest truth is that I just kept hearing about this book, Northern Lights, mm. you know, and that and the, I can't, I, I think possibly even the whole trilogy had been written by the time I got to it. Um, but I, I was quite deliberate. I I kept my ears closed mm. as to what it was actually about. And I have a bit of a bugbear about blurbs and description on books. I have this I have this sort of slightly deluded idea that if I can just go into a book without knowing anything about it, I will enjoy it in this sort of pure way mm. that the author intended. And I, I can't stand blurbs that give away kind of half the plot because then the joy of that plot twist it, it, for me is lost. So I actually opened this book without really knowing anything of what it was about and absolutely loved every page loved every page read the next one loved that and then actually saved up the the um the last one to read on a plane journey when i knew i would be undisturbed and for me there's just the richness of the world it's it's set in a world that is similar to our world but different in 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 some ways there's a sort of there's a breadth to it. I mean, there's this whole sort of northern, northern lights, northern bears, and 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 the sort of that it's all evoked in this incredibly magical way that reminded me of of when you were a child and you looked at clouds in the sky and they almost looked like a land that you could sort of journey into. It 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 sort of wakes up all those wondering. Um, parts of your brain exposes hypocrisy mm. it's quite thoughtful um, there are some real villains there are some really bad stuff goes on and then it's heartbreaking at the end because I think it's an interesting example as well of a book that I think is sort of very much marketed to children and teenagers it was that sort of the older YA end of the market and then is loved universally mm. have your children read it oh yeah yes I mean it's been a, a sort of very much a, a family book um, so I, I, I just think I, I just sort of I love to read a book that I marvel at and mm. actually I love reading a book that's nothing like anything that I do so I don't have that sort of professional bit of my brain going you know which, which can't help mm. but think oh you know interesting oh yeah, good choice oh mm. I wonder what I would have done you know I can't mm. help analyzing books as I read them um, and the closer they are to what I do the more likely I am to sort of that bit of my brain mm. kicks in. Um, and, and I suppose it's just, it's so hard to read for the pleasure of the story when you're analysing it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't way. intend to. It's just, you know, you can't help yeah. it. This book, I just felt like a child um, and just was sort of childlike in my enjoyment of it. So very, very keen. Are there any books that your children have read first that you've fallen for? Because Yes, in they fact, um, so this book here, I oh. was tidying up. My, my son's room and I picked up this book it's it's black quite forbidding looking so it's called Gone it's Gone so by it has, Michael Grant Michael Grant it has a neon sort of black neon black title it's very stark and the, and actually I love the way that the pages are mm. neon yellow so it's, it's very striking book so obviously I pick it up and I, I sort of idly 
um, thought, you know, oh, and I literally stood there in this bedroom reading. I couldn't put it down. Um, and it's about a world in which all the adults disappear. They just go. And what happens after that? The, you know, the children have to cope with no adults. I, th I can't remember the age cutoff. It might be 15. And suddenly all the adults are gone. And it's about the sort of the, the society of children that therefore has to sort of spring up and they have to look after each other and the, the battles. And, and then some sort of weird sci-fi stuff comes in as well. Um, but it was just so gripping. I really admire a page that, that grips you. And this absolutely did. Um, and I, I read, I would say, maybe two of the sequels. And then I'm afraid I didn't follow. I think that there are quite a few and... and my son read to the end and I'm not sure I did but you know kudos to a book that stops you mid tidying up session when you're not expecting it as well and I suppose mm. that perhaps comes back to what you were saying about not wanting a blurb just go in and suddenly be absolutely I had it's no like idea. take on me and the hand beckoning you yeah yeah I mean um I know and some people are the opposite I've had this discussion actually with with friends and and some some have said well I'm the opposite I like to know everything about it really before I begin, I read the blurb and I read all the reviews and I really get a sense of it and, and then I know if I'm going to want to read it. Um, so, you know, we're all different. That's really interesting. And I think perhaps now we're definitely in a time when there's just so much to read and to watch. It's a really exciting time for culture, but I can understand why people might feel as like my time is fine. I, I need to be sure before I... Do you yes. always read to the end? Do you ever stop mid-book? Um... Do you know, I do stop mid-book, but often because I'm, I'm not giving up on it. I'm mm. just slightly distracted by another book or I have to read another book or I leave it, you know, at my friend's house and I'll mm. pick it up another time. So, so that sort of thing. I don't, in, I don't often intentionally give up. Mm. I'm always like, I will come back to that. And I, and I have done, actually. Sometimes, you know, you're just not in the mood for that flavour mm, yes. that day. Do you know, that's exactly what I do. And I don't think anyone, people are either like, no, you must read to the end, which I respect. People are like, no, life is too short, which I also respect. But yeah, I don't think I've ever, I think there's only ever been one book where I just thought, I am not going to finish this. Um, and I'm not going to say what it is because I think that's, you know, I only want to talk about the, I the books I like. Yes, yes. I mean, sometimes, you know, if a book is very hard going and sad, mm. you just might not be able to cope with it, it all in one go and you might just think you know what that's you know that's a really good story but mm. now I'm just going to read a bit of Map and Lucia yes oh <laughs> love Map and Lucia love Map and Lucia they are another addictive series and again it's that hum it's that sense isn't there of mm. people really being in quite a warm and affectionate way it's the it's a very human thing isn't it I think vanity and pomposity and fear of ridicule and the more you fear it the more ridiculous you are yeah yes I mean it, it's it's fantastic human nature and again it's such a sort of um well-drawn society with its rules mm. and, and what I love about books like that is that you sort of you inhabit the rules so you mm. start to learn them and you think oh, no you didn't want to do that that's yes. going to put that person out or I mean I just feel like learning about origami yes like origami or actually I always find that with Jane Austen mm. that that you start to inhabit these rules and you think should you have said that was that you know was that a little forward or should, should you have approached you know you start to sort of see the world through that 
that lens of, of you know, what's ladylike, that'll have lost you that suitor worth 20,000 a year. <laughs> well, that's the thing, isn't it? That you're sort of, but you're allowed to know everybody's annual household income. That's, that's how it's, it's a bit like the sort of the old fashioned, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an online profile, isn't it? Mm. It's the old, <laughs> it's the old fashioned version, 20,000 a year. That's all you need to know. That's funny, I think, with Jane Austen, the idea that I, I think Jane Austen and Julie Cooper and you and, um, and the Brontes are similar in that there's a real celebration of pluckiness and courage and bravery. But in all those different universes, courage is, I don't think, limited but it's got to sort of flow around different obstructions and channels. You can be courageous in different ways, depending on the laws of that universe. Yes, yes. It's a kind of pragmatic courage. Mm. It's a courage which sort of recognises the world and thinks, OK, how am I going to navigate this world that I find mm. myself in, you know, to the best of my abilities? But sort of understanding that, you know, you're going to have to obey the rules. I mean, Elizabeth Bennet mm. is... is courageous and she does sort of you know contravene the rules in the sense that she turns down a perfectly good proposal mm. that might have done her jolly well but she doesn't say to hell with all of you and your conventions and I'm going off you know she sort of she inhabits the world she just subverts it to, to the limit that she's comfortable with without renouncing everything. Then Lydia is in a way another rebel and she's fine but less so it does look a bit sticky for a while See, I'm not sure I would say she's courageous. I think mm. she's just quite impulsive mm. and just kind of scratching an itch and not really thinking it through. Whereas I think everything Lizzie does is is difficult. But that's actually a really good point that I'd not thought of. Is Lizzie is all all integrity, and it's all about that. Um, what. Jane Didion says in On Self-Respect, sorry, it's a very pretentious reference, um, but sort of about having a private peace in oneself. And Lydia, and I think it's youth, but she just seems to be someone who's looking for fun and excitement and distraction. And she doesn't matter if everything's only really temporary in her mm. world. And Lizzie's courage is much more a sort of permanent courage. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And it's... Um... It's, it's, I don't know, it, it is, as you say, it comes out of integrity and knowing the kind of person that she wants to be. And I think Lydia is just thinking the thing that she wants to have mm, right yes. now. Ah, that is perfectly put. I'd never thought of it that way before. Well, I don't suppose um, I had either. It's, you know, this is why it's so nice to talk about books, isn't it? Because mm. otherwise it's all in your, your head and you sort of have your own thoughts. But, and if you, you know, you don't get to... I really love the idea that all books are self-help books. And the best books are sort of not judgmental, but there is just that, well, this is what will happen if you do this, depending on, as I say, the rules of that particular yes. universe. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, we're all flawed. We're all flawed. We all have our vanities and foibles. And, and, and I think the best books are the ones that are benign and understand mm. and sort of compassionate to their characters mm. for their flaws, whilst pointing out the consequences, but, but finding a way forward for me that that's what a good book does uh, I, I can't really cope with a very kind of a book that, that is sort of nihilistic no hope who knows who knows where this will end you know I can't for me I like a bit of not saccharine resolution but at least a, a feeling that there is a path it's 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 one of those things that it's nice to 
see a character that you relate to and and of course these flaws are funny mm. but it you know not everybody has these flaws and so I think you just have to um write characters that have all, all kinds of flaws mm. and they can't all be a klutz sometimes yeah. they I mean well that's why I wrote um you know, a workaholic. Mm. I mean, she's a klutz, but really her flaw is that she works too hard. And I think that's a very interesting flaw. And, you know, perfectionism is an is interesting flaw. And um, I think there's, there's just so many ways that people can be sort of not what they should be. Something I really struggle with is that, because, I, you know, I believe absolutely that it's not sort of fair or reasonable to think, well, you know, women absolutely have to be um, likeable. A book I read um, that I really, really loved is um, friend of the podcast and former guest, Sarah Manning, um, wrote a modern retelling of Vanity Fair, The Rise and Fall of oh, Becky yes, Sharp, which yes, is yes, great yes. fun. Really, really I have to admit, that. I have that and I have not yet got to it for the reasons discussed mm. that I was writing. And I, and you know, I just say, so, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but she did say that a note she kept getting was, can you make Becky a bit more likeable? Well, no, it's, it's Becky Sharp. <laughs> this is the point. And... I think, and there are books I've read where I've loved to have, there's been a central female character who's not been kind at her core, and I think that's really interesting and it can be done brilliantly. But deep down, the books that I will hold in my heart forever have adorable women in, mm-hmm. and they're the women I care about. And I know it's, I'm, I worry that that's reductive, but I just, I really, I want to love characters. No, I mean, I think that makes sense. And you have to do what is what is going to nourish you. I mean, what are books for? They are to nourish mm. our souls. And you're, you're going to spend a lot of time in these worlds. I think the worlds should be good for you. Yes. They should be a good place to be. It doesn't mean they have to be all sweetness mm. and light. And, and, you know, you might be nourished by lots of shots of adrenaline. Um, in which case you're going to want a different kind mm. of book. But that's because that's what you need. Mm. And as you say, there are absolutely different books and different moods and, mm. you know, it's the flavour you are you want to... I mean, I can imagine well being nourished by the frisson of <gasps> what terrible things are happening in this mm. book. Um, that's not me. Yeah. I could absolutely imagine it, but I'm, I'm like you. I, I want to sort of cosy up. Do you always know where your books are going to end? Do you have the, the charts and the all the notes on the study and the... I... I do, but um, I'm also aware that it might change along the way um, because, you know, you don't know everything at the beginning. Mm. You learn things and sort of create things as you go along and, and ideas come to you. I could never I could never do the thing of just sit down and go, oh, you know, where should I go today? Um, I have to have a kind of roadmap, but I'm kind of... I, I revise and edit as I go. Which of your characters do you think has surprised you the most over the course of writing them? Ooh... Um, gosh, that's a good one. I think actually Fixie, who I've just oh. written, um, ended up being sort of even stronger than I intended. You know, I think her, I'd always, so, you know, to sort of give, in the, give the background to her, she's, um, she's a girl who, who really doesn't have a voice at the mm. beginning of the book. She can hardly get her words out. This is mostly in respect to her family. Mm. And like you were saying, the family relationships are something I'm, you know, really interested in and I think I always wanted her to you know find her voice assert herself become the woman she was meant to be but I think she kind of went even further in terms of a sort of power shift Mm. in the book and I just found it more and more satisfying to have somebody who is so sort of downtrodden Mm. become so strong I've had this in my lap uh, that I picked up because it looks really cool I've got how to be a boss am I saying that right a guide to 
Well, it's a surviving, is crossed out, and then conquering life by Lily Singh. Um, on the subject of of being the boss being, in a literal sense and in a metaphorical being, sense. This is this is a book. I mean, um, I've been in touch with Lily Singh, who oh, I wow. think is amazing, very very funny, it's a really very description. honest, very good advice. Can I read what she's written in it because I think this is fabulous. Sophie, it's an honour to give you my debut book. Thank you for being an inspiration and making me laugh. Fun fact, I used to get into trouble for ignoring the teacher and reading your books during class. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to say that did make my day. And I felt incredibly honoured that this sort of bright, funny woman should have chosen my book to read under her desk in class. So, um, you know, it's it's been a lovely thing to sort of to be in contact with her. And I, I started looking through this book and I just found so many good bits of advice. I mean, here's one I've just found at random. Don't give away all your secrets or reveal all your vulnerabilities. It's up to you to decide what to reveal and when. Which I think is brilliant yes. advice. And too many people are, are sort of encouraged in the absolute opposite mm. direction constantly, all day long, um, you know, share. I mean, actually, funnily enough, this is... Um, putting me in mind of this book here the circle uh, i love that book um where you know that they 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 start saying um what is it you know privacy is theft um mm. unless you share every moment of your day you're you know withholding it why aren't mm. you sharing 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 share you know and sharing can be good but it can make you vulnerable so i think this is really good advice for especially for maybe younger girls who don't know where when they are allowed to say no i'm not going to tell you that mm. You know, well, what did you do on your date with what's it? What did you get up to? You don't have to spill. You can just protect, protect yourself. Um, I got really into this subject when I wrote my YA book, Finding Audrey, which was had sort of, sort of bullying and, and, and mobile phones and, and all of these sort of toxic issues in it. And I, I just sort of realised that, that people weren't understanding that they don't have to reveal everything about mm. themselves, whether it's pictures that you send people or whether it's bits of information you give out. Anyway. One book I really wanted to ask you about was A Vicarage Family by Nell Stratfield, which is, it's kind of an autobiography, but not, isn't it? It's, it's almost autofiction, yes. I guess. Yes. Early autofiction. And I loved all her books, but I remember being really, really moved and really compelled by the amount of kind of, sadness and she writes these really families you fall in love with where there's a lot of love and and this family her own family is is different did you read this after reading sort of ballet shoes yes i mean i i'd read all of them you know ballet shoes white boots i mean i i loved those books as a child um and I still do. And, you know, I think all, so many of the authors that we've talked about today, they create their own distinctive world. And what I, I love about her world is, is that there's always sort of super talented people, usually several of them, mm. in the same family. And they take it incredibly serious. Mm. There's always sort of some boy who takes his piano playing just so seriously. And it's all treated with a level of professionalism. Um, it's not really fun. It's more like a vocation. Mm. You have this talent and you have to do something with it. And then there's usually the one who doesn't mm. shine and is, you know, a, a bit grumpy and a bit put upon. Mm. And, and, and reading this book, you see this sort of 
very sad character, which is presumably Noel Stretfield. I mean, it's all, as you say, it's sort of written as fiction, constantly struggling. I mean, obviously not always sad, but you just feel the sort of, well, what we were talking about earlier, the sort of, the, the siblings, the, the, mm. the pressure and the, the, the way that you're defined by your siblings. It just sort of shines through. Yes, that that's the... I, don't want to assume too much, perhaps the real-life version of that, that there is something about you that's really, really special, but you will never know it because you're around these people who just won't see it for Mm. whatever reason. Yeah, she's just a character who just rubs people up the wrong way Mm. in her immediate family um, and has this very saintly father who's the vicar and then and then the, the mother's trying to sort of run a vicarage which I think is no you know small matter and what's so interesting is you sort of you read it and you have glimmers of all these other characters in the other books oh my and it, gosh I, and the ending just opened up this bit quite, and I remember it so vividly about their I think it's Lent and someone's given them breakfast and they've put hundreds and thousands on bread and butter. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, they're told they can't eat mm. anything except bread and butter. And then it's, I think they've, they've gone to a party. Mm. Um, and so it's bad enough that and, all they're allowed to mm. eat is bread and butter. Oh, that's it, because it's the plainest thing, isn't it? Yes. Because it is bread and butter, but it's got hundreds and then, and thousands And then this on it. moral dilemma that they have. Do they eat it? What do they do? And they all look at the eldest. And, and it's this massive, massive deal. And then there's a lovely bit, actually, in this party I think where poor Vicky starts to pretend that they had better dresses that they could have worn and she's very she's again she's very realistic about you know if you are not as well kitted out as that mm. other family I mean ballet shoes is full of this kind yes. of cobbling together the dress for the audition the and, attache cases yes and and you know pawning the necklaces and all mm. this sort of thing and it's very um it's very matter-of-fact and sort of quite hard-nosed about mm. you need money, you need... The, and, and, and this, you know, we could have worn our blue silks. She starts sort of... And that really performative... As I think sometimes you do sort of see children doing it, a way of taking control of the situation and when you know no one's probably sort of thinking or noticing exactly exactly and sort of goes too far and you can Mm. see in this scene where she 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 will be the writer because she's kind of already sort of creating Mm. a sort of alternate reality in which they have all these amazing dresses at home they just didn't choose to wear them they could have worn them but you know just not today Huge thanks to Sophie. Do read I Owe You One, which is a burst of pure, life-affirming joy that will power you through the end of winter. And then tell her how much you loved it at Kinsella Sophie on Twitter and at Sophie Kinsella Writer on Instagram. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Thank you so much for joining me on my journey and validating my nosiness. You can find me on Twitter at NotRollerGirl and on Instagram at the Daisy B. Say hello, suggest some guests and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, acast.com slash booked for more information about our guests and a list of the books they've talked about. If you have any other queries about the podcast, you can email us at whybooked at gmail.com. That's the letter Y, booked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think and it helps other people find the podcast. I'll see you next time for more novel behaviour. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.